So, you want to be a better trader, better investor, make more profits, or just get a better understanding of the financial markets? This is the podcast for you. You are listening to Traders of Money, brought to you by Trade Delicious. Now your host, Jordan Mellor. Oh, well, it's good to have you here, Mickey. It is, it's really uh, nice to, to finally sit down. And before, before we get into everything and, and chat about everything we're going to talk through today and bring all those expertise to everyone listening, I wanted to just give you a big congratulations for the successful launch of Trade the Pool. What Thank an achievement. You. I mean, I'm sure the adrenaline's still through the roof. How's yeah, it feel? Definitely. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, we did something really incredible in our field, the stock trading field. And um, yeah, we're happy to do that. We have a lot ahead of us as well. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, fantastic. No, yeah, it was, it was good to, to be a little part of it uh, and, to, and to be around the team as everyone's uh, building it as well. It, it's good to see it unfold and, and so quickly. I mean, when you look at it, it took a while, but when you consider what you actually achieved, um, uh, big pat on the back, big pat on the back for that. So thanks. Let's, let's dive in. We're, we're talking US stock markets. Right, because right. that, that's where your expertise lay, right? In the US equities market? Exactly, yeah. yeah US stocks, um, mostly day trading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, US stocks, a little bit futures as yeah. well. Yeah, so I played around in the US stock market, I, I want to say maybe two years ago. Uh, for I lasted about two months. Now, okay. I didn't lose money. Uh, I think I actually I was very close to break even, if not a little bit in profits. The the reason I stopped trading is because it was like two a.m. at my time, so I was working like two a.m. to six a.m. and it was just it, I couldn't do it. And that's when I started adapting to the Asian session in the FX markets and and went on from there. Okay. What obviously that's not an issue you face, but what was the big driving? factor that pulled you to US equities rather than trading in Europe or, or trading elsewhere in the world? Why US stocks? Yeah, I guess um, for us here in Israel, um, most of the, you know, the YouTube that we saw or the channels or just the normal website educators uh, told us about the US market. So that was at first. And obviously, you know, it's like the heart of uh, the financial markets, the um, the Wall Street, where everything begins, basically, right? All the big companies, everything that we buy on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that's what actually moved me to that market. Maybe one day I will go to the European market as well. But, you know, I'm looking for, especially as a day trader, I'm looking for volatility. I'm looking for volume. And you can get it yeah. in the in Wall Street. Yeah. Fantastic. So follow the money, essentially. Follow the yeah. big players, right. follow where the volume, the volatility is. Yeah. Do yeah. you, when, when basing going down to your, your day trading routine, because you're more of a day trader than, than a swing trader or an investor, you would say. Yeah, definitely. What, what's your, without giving too much away, what's your edge? Are you looking for volatile stocks? Are you looking for flat lot? Like where do you best see your probability of, of turning a profit? Right. So uh, first of all, I'll be happy to give everything away because at the end, something that I learned throughout the years that it doesn't really matter what you trade in or, um, you know, your secret weapon, mm-hmm. stuff like that, because at the end, it's about the trader, 
right? I can teach you the same thing that I've been doing for 15 years, day in and day out. But if you are not me specifically, then you probably won't get it the same as I, right? You can yeah. do even maybe better or less, but at the end, it's super individual. Trading, it's super individual. So um, what I've, I've been using for uh, many years, what I like to call it the SMM strategies. So it's like a, a set of rules for buying the dip, basically. Okay. Looking for, did you, did you uh, create these rules or were you taught these rules? I created, obviously, I learned, you know. A bit, like, a bit of both, um, yeah. Yeah, everything yeah. from, but I created or combined those um, parameters together, mm-hmm. uh, what fits me. So that was uh, the first thing that I've been doing for like, uh, let's say, eight years. I've been doing that mostly, buying the dips or either uh, selling the top. Mm-hmm. And but, but the main, let's say, if I want to really see uh, what pushed me forward, and creating uh, other than making like a few thousand a month, but actually making uh, 10 and 20,000 a month was the, the main jump was two elements. One, uh, the edge that everyone talking about. So I went to the statistics of my trading and took out everything that I can understand and get from it. So for example, um, I looked at the volume that I've uh, trading the most and where I'm making more money. I looked at the price of the stock. I look at the, uh, the gap. Usually I'm trading gaps. Uh, I'm waiting for like it opened with a gap down, then I'm melting down, then I'm buying the dip. So the gap that it started from um, the news, the, the important level that blocked it and uh, pushed the price up. So all of those elements, I gathered everything together and understood where do I really have an edge. Um, so you, you get my point. Basically, yeah. what kind of trades were my best trades and the others that didn't work, what happened there? So as mm-hmm. soon as I got all this information, I understood, I understood better my uh, trading and could make more. The other uh, part was actually... Uh, more mental part. So I got a, I had a student of mine. He was mm-hmm. a business guy. He learned from me how to trade, and he actually pushed me to uh, to think clearly about um, trading as a business. So he said to me, "You know, you already been trading. You're making three thousand, four thousand, five thousand a month consistently. Okay, that's great, and you can live out of it at least here in Israel." Yep. But you actually can make a lot more. It's not about greediness, you know. It's not about really the money, but just doing what you already been doing good. Just make more out of it. So he pushed me forward with that, and uh, and those two elements together uh, made me push myself amazingly uh, the last couple of years. That's fantastic. I I love the way, and it's happened to me too, where people who don't know trading or aren't that big in trading can give you sometimes the push or the answer that you need. And it's remarkable yeah. in how it does that. And that's why you see some of the, the best trading psychology coaches out there or whatnot. They they don't know much about trading. They don't know how to trade, but they know 
how to get a trader to perform or at least how to break those barriers. And I think it's impressive that that someone from obviously business-minded, uh, I dare say probably an entrepreneur or, or somewhat um, has come through right. and shared his experience. I think it's I think it's powerful and it's, it's cool on that. Moving yeah, back that, into, sorry. That's, um, no worries. That's <laughs> if I can recommend anyone that's listening right now, um, just find this mentor guy. It doesn't have to be someone from, like you said, someone from the stock market or the market itself. That just find a guy that can push you forward just to become better. That's mm-hmm. definitely Absolutely. Will do the job. Absolutely. Moving back to your edge or at least the, the way you trade, from what I picked up from what you've just put down there, it sounds like you look to almost fade over reactions in the market. It, it, yeah. that's That starts to me is sounding like where your edge is, which is very similar to the way I trade in the Asian session, fading when we have big volatile moves when it shouldn't have happened, uh, looking to fade them back in. And it sounds like your edge is very similar in in looking at these stocks. Do you, is there certain cap stocks which you look at? Do you like ignore the small caps? Do you only trade the large cap stocks? Like how do you filter through what's going to be a good decision for you and what's going to be a, a you know, a red flag. Right. So I guess we need to understand first the, um, uh, the period of time that we are trading in, right? Because, for example, if you take the last, um, I don't know, two years, you can easily trade the market like the, um, if you trade in the ETF. So the mm-hmm. SPY, the ETF for the S&P 500 or the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, or if you trade in the futures, uh, the NQ and the ES. So you can literally trade those day in and day out because yeah. it's super volatile. And, the, uh, you know, I just traded a few days ago. I traded the NASDAQ when it dropped. You probably saw it. It dropped like crazy down, then bounced up yeah. tremendously. That on and the CPI data? If... Yeah, exactly. On the CPI and, data, yeah. And now uh, we are at almost like uh, 11, 300 or something like that on NASDAQ. A bit it was more. a remarkable yeah. rally, wasn't it? Yeah. Remarkable. So I traded that. I entered um, on a, a little bit long, uh, longer time frame, like a 4H, mm-hmm. but I entered that because the price dropped down. You understood the manipulation that they're trying to put everyone in that short, getting their stop losses. So basically like a short squeeze started to uh, happen and um, that, that was the case. So... You can easily trade the SPY or the QQQ or the ET or the ES and NASDAQ. But if you want to go specifically for stocks, what I would look for are stocks that are volatile and with a lot of volume at the beginning of the day, usually opening with a gap down or up because I can also sell the top. But um, you want to see the catalyst that moves those stocks. So you want to have good news or bad news that pushing these stocks uh, further to the downside or the upside. That makes I'll sense. Say. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're looking not only at the technical aspect of, of where prices moved and where positions haven't been, you know, filled, where market orders may still be sitting, but also understanding from a fundamental analysis point of view: is this an overreaction or is this a valid reaction from the market and then you're you're placing your positions based on on your interpretation of that um and and looking to fade those is that correct 
Yeah, and uh, you wanna, and most people maybe uh, miss that point because they are only going for the technical part. But if you don't really look for the news, and if you don't understand the uh, news, I'll call it numbers. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand that, that you're missing a lot of uh, the picture, right? The big picture. Yeah. Uh, no, I that... agree. I, I'm big on on fundamental analysis and having that that push. Um, and then once I have my fundamental bias, then I can look at technicals and I can look at which way to go. But obviously, it works a little bit different uh, in the FX world. Um, but right. yeah, same thing. I think it's paramount. Not only I found bringing fundamental analysis into my trading that it brought conviction. Um, right. I was able to hold positions longer. I had more faith in my positions. I was able to risk more mentally because I had that extra level of conviction behind me. Now, whether it actually made a difference or not early stages, who knows? Um, right. But it, it allowed me to, to have that extra confidence in those positions, which is, which what, is similar. What is it that you're looking for, let's say, in the FX market? What, what kind of news are you looking for to confirm your uh, trend? As a whole, um, look, obviously the biggest move at recently, it's been a little bit crazy with inflation kind of happening all over the world. Um, yeah. But usually inflation figures, interest rate figures are your biggest incentives and where things move. Um, when I start looking at currencies, which I understand a little bit better, like for example, the Australian dollar being here in Australia, um, I will look into the manufacturing PMI. I'll have a look into the services PMI and you can kind of get, they like drop crumbs um, yeah. on where we're really heading and and especially the services PMI, it drops some very large crumbs at what our employment data is going to be. And you can usually catch, because these moves usually happen prior to the news being released because people pick up these crumbs and you see a a consensus move the charts prior. Um, You can usually get yourself, if the technicals line up, in some great positions moving prior to those releases. And then very similar thing, if you get like that CPI data, Okay, grand scheme of things, yes, it missed forecasts. It went up to 8.2%, I think it was. Um, we wanted 8.1%, so it, it didn't miss by that much. And when you look over the past three, four, five months, we have kind of pulled in a little bit or at least flattened that curve. Um, so everyone's initial reaction was, this is terrible, this is terrible. And that's why, obviously, you saw... Um, the S&P just get absolutely stumped and and everything around. And then Mm -hmm. everyone went, well, like yourself, would have obviously made money on that opportunity, went, oh, hang on a minute. This is a bit of an overreaction. Um, And the markets had an incredible rally (laughs) over the past few days. But same thing. Um, I'll look into into most aspects. When I'm looking at the pound is a funny one, the sterling. Um, I'll look for macro factors, so things like, we're coming into winter, there's a war in Europe. You know, we kind of get that idea about it. It's not necessarily designated to figures. Right. Um, but when you're sitting in a, a little bit easier of an area, Australia heavily linked to the Chinese figures, Chinese figures moves the Aussie dollar. Um, you can kind of pick up little crumbs and compile that with some good technical analysis. You can find some fantastic opportunities. That's, That's how I run it. That, that sounds great. Uh, and by the way, also, um, one more thing that um, happened when the Nasdaq dropped and then bounced up, it was funny. We talked about it like live also in our um, Discord, but also here in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I said to Ruben, something is not right. The price of the Nasdaq dropped down, 
But then usually what you will see is that the VIX, the volatility index, volatility index, yeah, bounce up, right? They go the opposite direction, but it didn't. And I said to Ruben, he sits uh, next to me and I said to him, something is fishy, something is not right. Why is the market is dropping like crazy and the VIX is standing? So that was also a nice, uh, a nice point to understand that they will try to manipulate the price. So mm-hmm. in case in the future, anyone that listens uh, will see uh, the same uh, reaction. So one market is dropping or popping up, but the VIX is not uh, correlating, then definitely say to yourself, something is fishy. Yeah, I, I love those situations. I look for them every day across you know seven or eight different pairs uh, in during the Asian session because we usually in the Asian session get that lower volatility. So when we right. do get these large moves, uh, when, they're not large moves in compared to what you can get later on, but out of context moves or everything. And those volatility indexes, um, I know we deal with tick volume, but usually they're, they're 80% correct anyway. Um, yeah. If you get something's not right we're pushing higher and higher but volumes like really shrinking down the cmf indicators coming down it's usually a good incentive like hey something's not right you know we've got the bullish pressure but there's no people buying where where's and and that's usually where i can capitalize on those smaller technical aspects as well um in the age. so it's, it's so interesting that we trade completely different markets at completely different times yet yeah. theoretically it's very similar style of trading. I mean, it is. That's it's just surprised me. It's the same. Markets are the same. You know, if I would uh, go to Australia and, mm. and start trading the Australian market, the U- the stocks of the Australian market, let's say, mm-hmm. it will take me um, like a minute or so to understand the um, you know the small nuances, the differences. But at, yeah, yeah, the differences. But at the end, it's kind of the same. You know, the, it's market behavior. It's human behavior. Algo's behavior, right. so those kinds of mass things. psychology. That's all it is, mass right. psychology. You understand how majority of people are going to think, you can you can understand where probably price is going to go. Right. Um, do you also invest in these markets outside of, of day trading them? Um, yeah, but very, like, I don't know, like 10, 20%, not more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not my not my thing. You know, I got the, yeah. the money that... Um, uh, institutional just manage for me like normal uh, like a 401 uh, yeah, yeah like super funds yeah. and, and yeah. pensions and stuff like yeah. that exactly but other than that um, I'm looking to do in life I guess it's something that I've, I've been chasing is just doing something that I like if I'm yeah. not liking it really then why should I waste my time to do so now, I know some will listen to that and say, because you can make more money or whatever. But at the end, you know, I'm, I'm trying to choose in my life um, things that I enjoy doing. And this is probably the, the, the main reason that I got into day trading, because I understood that it should be much more fun or um, much more uh, computer-like, um, you know, trading is very similar and I love to play games. So trading is super similar to that the action and everything so um this is why i got into that and um i still love it till this day it seems to be working pretty well for you so that's I mean, that's a good thing it. regardless of the money it's just fun yeah. to do yeah 100 you know? how did you get into trading 
how at, what what was the turning point? Where were you at? Where like in your life? What was going on that you went? Yes, this is this is it. Yeah. So I remember uh, back in the army days, like uh, at the end of, uh, of my uh, army service, yeah. I. I got my um, my ex girlfriend got me a book of uh, Robert Kiyosaki. You know, uh, Rich, Is that Dad, Rich Dad, Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, yeah like a yeah. classic. And I knew that I don't like the the nine to five job or whatever it is, and and go to like a college or university. That wasn't really my thing from the get go, mm-hmm. since I remember myself. So then he, he presented me with um, this book, presented with, um, you know, real estate, uh, stock market, uh, small business or like a um, huge firm or something like that. Yep. And I said, stock market sounds good. Let's start uh, digging into that. So I was in my early 20s. I learned literally from everything that I could grab. Uh, there wasn't a lot of information like today, you know, you go to YouTube, you just type in stock trading, you get like millions of videos. Yeah. Uh, back in that time, um, you know, I went to a couple of sites, uh, printed uh, a lot of um, things, you know, about indicators, a lot of information about indicators, about the stock market, psychology, everything that I can grab. And um, I had like two years of just massively sitting every single day and learning more and more, more and more about the market, um, watching charts, uh, educating myself basically how to do that the right way. Obviously, it didn't go the right way when I first started trading. <laughs> yeah, that's know. everyone's story. But yeah. but you have to you have to go the wrong way in order to learn how to go the right way, and that's the difference with trading compared to all other careers realistically out there um, is you've got a boss in another career to tell you when you've done something wrong and, right. and to kind of turn you in the right direction or, or you go to university or you go to school and, and you learn the way to do it, the way not to do it. Whereas in trading, it's like throw you in the deep end of a swimming pool, learn how to swim. And there's only one way you're going to learn how to swim. And it's when you're on that verge of drowning, <laughs> you go, oh, okay, I need it's a fight for survival. Um, and I, I found that here. I always find it funny when, especially I, I didn't go to university um, and a lot of traders I know that have gone on to be really successful didn't go to university. But right. I always say that we did a university course. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because I studied for two to three years like, <laughs> and I, I probably studied harder than, than a lot of people did when they did go to actually university. Um, right. And while it may not be accredited, while we may not get a certificate or a bachelor degree or whatever it might be, um, we still go through that studying phase of just getting, as you say, as much information in as possible and then trying to figure out what it means and then trying yeah. to figure out whether or not it works. And the only way you can do that is by risking money and it's this whole emotional roller coaster. But um, it's interesting to, to know you went along. The, so was it straight out of military service you went, yep, stock trading? Yeah, basically, I had like uh, six months um, when I went to the US after the, the military. And uh, mm-hmm. from that point, when I returned, basically started to learn. You know what? My first chart that I looked at was the euro uh, dollar, actually, and not even euro, a stock, uh, yeah, and not even a stock symbol. So um, I'm trying to... You, I was, uh, I was chatting to Saul about this. 
Yeah. Like do that. you do you remember your first trade? Uh, the first trade, probably not. Probably not. I, I can't it, forget it wasn't mine. A, it wasn't a stock, um, obviously, but don't recall which one. Maybe I've got American. I've got mine framed. Um, I've got mine framed <laughs> up in my office. Wow. Yeah, my first ever trade, and okay. it was two barrels of oil, a CFD <laughs> of two barrels of oil, and I made a dollar and one cent, nice. uh, and that was my first ever trade. And you couldn't ask me how I got into that position, how I even ended up on the platform I did to buy CFD barrels of oil. I, I don't know. Right. Um, I just fell into that. And I wanted to remember, I mean, I, I was talking about it in the last episode. I went on to lose, you know, nine, $900, $1,000 within a matter of half an hour. Um, but I remembered that trade because I was sitting on the sofa on my phone and I just went, I just made a dollar. I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm like, I just pressed a couple of buttons and I just made a dollar. And that was when the possibilities of this woke up Wait, inside of me. You traded from your phone? From my phone. My first wow. ever trade was from my phone, yeah. I, th- I think I had the web app of, of the platform open, but I was, I was sitting on the sofa just going, oh, okay, the chart's going down here. I think I'm going to buy. I think that was like, something like that. And it went up and I closed it and I look and I'm like, oh my God, I just made a dollar. I'm like, it didn't. I like how did yeah. I just make a dollar? Um, it was easy. Yeah, the the next two years following that was definitely not easy, but um, it was it's part of the journey. But that was that was when it hooked me of like making me realize, okay, there might be something here, and there might what, be opportunity. What was it in your path that uh, got you, you know, to become profitable, uh, to push you to the other side of the? Right. It was tough. It was tough. Um, a couple of different things. And there's a few people that have been influential in that. And I'm having them on uh, in the next few episodes as well, which, which I'm excited about. Um, a range between connectivity with these guys who were doing what I wanted to do um, and people who were telling me to stop doing what I was doing. Right. And there was this fine balance of support and not support. Um, and it was, it was, a. I was constantly jumping back and forth. Like, are they right? Are they right? Which one should I be doing? And when you're focusing so hard on trying to get results and sometimes they're not achieving, then you're in that basket and then you're in that basket and you're kind of jumping back and forth. But, um, I remember I spoke to a friend called Anthony. I had this terrible strategy and this terrible idea, um, to go, this was very early on in my trading strategy to go 10% per trade risk. Um, on this strategy that I'd been developing, and he knew he knew it wasn't going to work, but he said to me, he says, "I think you need to do it." He yeah. said, um, "I think you just need to to just to, to, to just yeah. just to understand." And I did, and I lost <laughs> I lost the account, um, but it did, and and that was the moment where I realized no one is going to do the hard work for you in this industry. And that was when I stopped being inconsistent with how I was trading because I was doing a lot of strategy jumping. I was doing a lot of, you know, I'd trade this, I'd work for a little bit, I'll go to my first drawdown. Okay, this guy's doing this, let's go try that. Um, and I would never stay consistent with with my decisions. Um, yeah. And that was that was the moment I went, right, enough's enough. Let's, um, let's sit down and, and be disciplined and at least stick to one system for, for three or four months. Um, and then from then, 
never looked back. Never looked back. I have changed systems from then, but because the data had said to, the data was telling me that, yeah, this isn't the right way to go about this. And so you start like kind of building as you did, you get your different assets and, and whatnot, and you start building it up as you go. Um, but that was probably my biggest turning point is when he let me blow my account. And uh, <laughs> there's been a few other people along the way, some psychological help as well. And some people that don't know trading that have just somehow it hit the nail on the head of what I needed to hear. But um, that was probably the the moment I realized that, yeah, I need to be more disciplined and went on to be more disciplined. And who, who I mean, it worked. <laughs> it was just sometimes it's as, it's as crazy as doing that. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the biggest, that was it for me. That's nice. There are always, um, you know, this question, if you need to just trade a one strategy and stick to that or try lots of strategies until you find the right one for you. Mm. And, and I guess probably the best way to do so is just trying few strategies until you'll find the right one for you and stick to that. Today, I have like, you know, I, I know a lot of strategies or techniques, mm. but I can easily say that I have two main like 80% of my trading goes to those two and maybe once in a while I'm adding one more, but, you know, really focusing on those two because I know this is what I like. This is what I um, understand the best. Uh, it proved itself during those years. So, yeah. That that's that was the biggest thing, evidence. Evidence that, that the strategy had an edge, that the probability was in your favor when getting on it. And, and that was, I would never give a method enough time to provide evidence on whether or not it was uh, yeah. it was good so i was a good slap in the face but a slap in the face that was needed um yeah. and it, it worked out so um, i'm really glad i, I cop that slap in the Happy face I'm, yeah yeah i'm willing to cop plenty more if it if it keeps uh keeps leading <laughs> but um okay so i wanted to we were talking about this a few weeks ago and i know it's a lot of people, especially beginner traders, love to find an excuse on why a trade hasn't worked. They love yeah. to say there's been manipulation in the market. They love to say uh, this position would have happened, but the Bank of Japan just announced this or, or whatnot, right. and they've been stop hunted by their broker. In stock trading and US equities, have you experienced much? I know short squeezing and stop hunting is a little bit more popular because it's a little easier with lower volatility compared to the FX markets and, and a little bit more manipulatable. Um, but have you experienced much stop hunting? Would you be able to explain the, to the listeners what stop hunting is? Yeah, let's try to do that. Usually we need the chart just to show them, <laughs> but but we'll try to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, let's try to do that. So um, stop hunting is basically... It's something that occurs every single day mm -hmm. in any market, you know, even if the for, in the Forex market, because at the end, it means basically that a big institutionals want to buy, let's say, a lot of shares of Apple. Let's say yep. um, a million shares of Apple, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, in order to do that, you can't really click on the mouse key and just buy a market <laughs> order with a million shares. It will push <laughs> the price up. Uh, it will get a bad field. Uh, executions so you don't want to really do that 
what he needs to do is to create, um, yeah, to basically manipulate the price to, to create to a find an area where there's a lot of market orders. Exactly, and those market orders are basically waiting in a specific places, right? We all learned the same thing. At the um, you know at the lower after a pullback, you put your stop loss or at or at the eye of the price and stuff like that. So what it does basically put the price down, push the price down, take all the stop losses. The stop losses are sell orders. E buy from the other end, and mm-hmm. that for the price can continue higher after he actually got the full uh, liquidity that he wanted. Mm-hmm. So okay. I find I find we get a lot of those large positions being entered and exited in in the FX market as well during news events because right. the, there is so much volatility and so many orders going. It's a great and I, I work for someone who worked for a, a, an institutional firm out in Sydney, and he was telling us they would look for those not the really large scale ones, but the little ones that could be manipulated pretty easily, um, mm. and you you'd be able to fill. A, a very large scale order at, at a great price all right. tightly confined and that's what they're trying to avoid they're trying to avoid their order being market filled all the way up and, and all of a sudden you've got huge spreads on on what your fill was right. um so have you had an experience with with being stop hunted in your positions have you changed yeah. your strategy mm-hmm. to adapt to it like how do you go about definitely. it definitely so there are two things um, to look at it. Um, one is, let's say you want a trend following, right? Mm. You have a nice uh, move to the upside. You wait for a pullback and then you want to buy because you believe that the price will continue higher, right? So in those cases, either that or a, a bull flag, right? The, there's a move up, consolidate to the right, and then you want to buy at, um, above the consolidation. Yeah. So in those two cases, there are a lot of manipulation of the stop hunting. They will actually uh, trigger the, let's say, the bull flag. So everybody is buying right now. Their stop loss is below the consolidation. So they will push mostly market makers and algos. They will push the price down, hunt those stop losses below the consolidation, and then they will buy from the other end. So okay. In, uh, when I uh, started trading, one of my favorite strategy was um, a bull flag, basically looking for momentum uh, movements. And when they did that, obviously they took me out a lot of times. And then I understood, and that's only from experience and you know watching the charts and seeing those uh, uh, trades been hunting again and again. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I realized that when they pushing the price down and taking all the liquidity below the consolidation, they actually they actually there are few elements that or parameters that can alert me beforehand, and also after they did that, I can jump in again. So beforehand, if I'm looking at the consolidation, you mostly most of the time you will see huge volume coming in while the while the consolidation is occurring. So. As we know, during consolidation, you don't really need to see a high volume, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of defeats the purpose of consolidation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But in most cases, if you pay attention to that, in most cases, you will see high volume coming in in the consolidation. So this is like a first alert that you need to understand and say to yourself, wait, something is fishy going on. So the second thing, and then you can either skip the uh, bull flag 
So mm-hmm. you know, just uh, skip the trade. Wait till see till you see a shakeout, basically, and then trade. The other uh, uh, the other option, let's say you in that trade, they shook you out. Usually, the price will stop either at the twenty EMA, the exponential moving average, after they like uh, drop it down took all the stop losses, it will uh, go down all the way to the 20 EMA, or that's uh, a little bit rare, but it could mm-hmm. go also to the 50 EMA. Okay. But in most cases, the 20 EMA will block the price, they will buy everything below the consolidation, and then the price will start pushing <coughs> for uh, up, basically. So you can jump in to that trade, and, and uh, it could be... Like it's a 90% uh, success if you got that. Because they actually creating this um, this situation just to buy more at the bottom. So it makes sense that the price will push higher. So it's interesting because it. so many people try to to blame stop hunting for, for the reason they lose money or for... Um, and I find it, especially in beginner traders and perhaps those traders that, that don't, take that next leap that they're trying to make is is that blame thing um because it can relate to so many different things on a psychological level like the fact that you don't realize that we're in a risk market you know we're we're trading probability here we're not we're not trading exactly we don't know what's going to happen we can just base opinions um but it's interesting that you've taken that that edge and turned it around and just joined them just well okay let's see what their patterns are because they're filling positions to push and manipulate the price you can see that in the in the real volume um and then you can start reacting off that it's it's a smart edge it's a good so, trick so maybe the, this is why i also trade mostly buying the dip because those institutionals those market makers are <coughs> usually buy the dip mm-hmm. they're looking for that like i mentioned the the trade i made on the nasdaq the same thing they push the price down on the cpi Everyone thought that the prior, that the market is gonna collapse, yada yada. They took that advantage, to took that movement to their advantage and made everyone basically um, get into that short so they can buy easily and push the price higher. So if you think like a market maker, then you started to see um, uh, your technique will get better. Basically, you don't you don't think like a retail trader, you know. Okay, I I spoke with Saul quickly about this and I wanted to chat with you about it as well. Um, We were talking about painful experiences in the market. Right. Uh, Times that, that, and once again, back to our previous stats, they're needed. We need to sometimes feel that dagger to to learn from mistakes and and stuff like that. And Saul, well, I know a bit about your painful loss because you spoke about it on the Trade the Bull podcast. And right. I wanted to touch on it today. Can you give the listeners a run through on the events that occurred on your biggest ever loss? Yeah, it actually occurred like two or three years ago. Um, it was an SPCE, SPCE, yeah, space. Yeah, that uh, company space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a crazy day for me. Actually, three days. It wasn't, I suppose, it should have been only a day trading mm-hmm. uh, trade but it actually went on for three days i i bought it pre-market um, i was up about two thousand dollars everything was 
like normal, let's say. Yeah. And instead of closing that position, I don't know, greediness or whatever, um, it started to like the market opened and it started to drop down. So I'm losing those $2,000 that I already made, um, you know, dropping down, break even, mm -hmm. dropping down. I'm starting to add more to my position. Uh, I don't know if we have time to talk about this, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we should maybe one day do an episode about um, averaging uh, down. So if yeah, it's something that, we um, we chat about we chat about it last episode, um, and I will I will a bit more because my biggest ever loss was the same thing. I was scaling into a losing position, and uh, understanding the difference of when you should scale in and scale out is very important. Um, right. And it will be things we touch on in the future. But yeah, but yeah, I'll happy, no, we'd... I'll be happy to jump in and uh, do a podcast with you on that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I'm editing more and more and more, and that day they were killing that stock. Guys are selling, shorting it like crazy. Every bounce, like was there, was there some fundamental analysis yeah, at play? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the first day that they um, shoot that. Um, I don't know. It's an, uh, not an airplane, but um, what's the, the name for it? Like a space. Uh, um, the shuttle. Like a spaceship. Mm. So they they shoot it to the space. Yeah, the first right. uh, launch, the first launch of that uh, ship. Mm -hmm. And from that point, just melting down every 10 cents that it's bouncing, they're dropping it down again, and I'm adding more and more and more. Suddenly, the broker uh, that I worked with, still working with, uh, dropped the leverage, the buying power from four to, from actually six to uh, two. So yeah. I didn't have enough money to add to my position. So now I'm... You know, I can't do really anything besides closing the trade. First day, I'm down 25,000. Second day, don't really remember. Also, I closed some of my position, adding more, just uh, putting the price down, averaging down <coughs> my uh, entry price. And on the on Wednesday, it was, um, I don't know, I don't recall the, the, uh, the hour exactly, but probably something like two hours in the trading, I clicked on the mouse key with the last uh, exiting uh, trade. It was 91,000 down. And man, that was really the hardest three days that I ever had in trading. And that, and that is like two, three years ago. So I was, I was great at trading. I can say mm. that. But, but still. It, it's not just three days, is it? The, the pain, uh, I know, especially from my loss, I felt that, and it, it's kind of unexplainable. Like it's it's pure pain, <laughs> um, and and I felt that for for weeks afterwards. It took me right. a while to to grow confidence back in and and to start going again. Um, yeah. Now I didn't get a loss that big. I mean, at running equity, I, I, the max I got down was thirty four. Um, it might have been thirty five thousand. Dollars and I managed to get out of the position at a six thousand dollar loss, wow, um, which was lucky. Which was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I was, believe it or not, I was very happy to take a six thousand dollar loss. Um, but I still, yeah. during that session, horrible. And and for weeks afterwards, I, I couldn't look at charts. I was just in physical pain. Did Did you feel the same way? I mean, it took me two weeks to get back in the game. I took a two weeks break. Um, you know, just to understand what I did wrong, what I could have done better. 
because I, I did traded it um, not the right way. Yeah. You know, there were uh, certain points during those three days that I could have, uh, let's say, either closed with a small loss or um, or even add to my position better. So it was important for me to take those two weeks to to get better, basically, to understand what I could have done uh, um, much better to improve for next time. Um, I obviously took Excel sheets, set it up much more um, uh, rules and parameters, um, calculated the, the max uh, number of shares that I can uh, add to any kind of position. I had a lot of um, those uh, technical things, but also mm-hmm. on the mental side, you know, just to understand them, um, just talking to myself and telling myself, you know, it's a big loss, but it's not at the end. It's not the end of the world because you know what you're doing. You, had, um, you have the skills to recoup. Yeah, you definitely have the skills to, um, you know, push yourself uh, forward and rise above it. And um, that was that's oh, well actually done. what happened at the end. That, yeah, that... Yeah, some of, some of these losses and some of these lost stories, they really just make my, my stomach turn because uh, I know I didn't handle mine very well and I can't even imagine. Um, when was but, it? Uh, when, how, how deep in your trading? Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go less than two years ago. I'm going to go maybe mid last year. Okay. Um, it was just before I found uh, prop firms, like internet prop firms. Mm. Um, actually, so maybe a little bit, little bit earlier than that. Started twenty twenty one around that time, okay. um, and so yeah, I was for a while. For, um, yeah, until yeah, yeah. Now. I've been trading for about four years, um, okay. if not a little bit, if not a little bit longer. And I was, um, I was trading with investors' money, which, which right. was pr- probably why it hurt even more. Uh, that that added pressure of trading with, uh, with investors' money, and um, yeah, it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice at all, but. On the topics of trading firms, trade the pool. What an achievement. Where are we heading? What are we doing? Talk to me. I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm so excited that we finally had this moment that actually a prop firm for stock traders getting mm-hmm. into that uh, field, this industry. I, I said that before and I will say it a hundred times more. If I had a chance 15 years ago to get to a program that actually with like $240 of my risk to get $80,000 exposure and all yeah. the tools that we're providing, it's a, literally, it's a no brainer. Uh, I mean, really, it's give us- it, it, Yeah, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Because at the end, as a stock trader, you need, especially as a day trader, you need 25K to trade the US market. Yeah, and even if you found like a way a little bit to to pass it, you still need like three thousand dollars or five thousand dollars, right? So instead of that, take that money, put it in the prop firm in Trade Pool, for example, and use that money to leverage yourself to get much more of leverage to get more support, the mentor inside, um, the platform that we use in the services. It's a no-brainer, and it's That's amazing because awesome. you know. We see our guys, we already have uh, several of hundreds been trading in that uh, evaluation phase. And it's amazing to see that. Yeah, I was saying, and, and just on that, like so many people will reach out to 
um, like training courses and, and mentors and stuff like that. And, and you get that in the communities, uh, both at Trade the Pool. I've seen you, the Discord is very active and you guys are sharing even trade ideas that you're taking on the day during a session. I know you've done done it live sometimes in trading with the, with the traders live and showing everyone how you do it. So it is it is a remarkable thing you guys are doing over there. And um, I honestly, I wish you guys all the best and, and success. And I hope it's, it's going to take off and, as you say, stock and roll. Um, but going back to going back to you, what's next for you? I know I know trade the pools obviously your baby right now and you're and you're growing it up and and fruiting. But where yeah. where's Mickey going? Where 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 will you be in ten years time? Whew, ten years that's a big lot. question. <laughs> yeah, especially as a day trader. You know, as a day trader, we, we think in small portion. <laughs> But yeah, uh, ten years from now, that's uh, that's amazing. First of all, I want to see Trader Pool taking over the world, uh, no mm-hmm. doubt, no doubt. When it comes to stock trading, Trader Pool will be the leader. Um, don't see a reason why not to for mm-hmm. day traders and also for swing traders. We will obviously have um, options and future trading. We will add as well. So everything uh, that uh, related to stocks basically around it mm. also for the um, uh, european market uh, european market we will also have stocks for that probably for the australian market as well so this is definitely something that um, hopefully in the next even uh, a year from now uh, other than that i really like besides trading i like to develop um and innovate and innovate um uh, you know, cool stuff for the tech, uh, for the fintech um, industry. So um, I'm thinking of uh, something like um, a place where everyone can trade together, um, but more visuals, you know, adding more visuals, something that's not uh, been done yet. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, maybe I'll come and visit you in Australia or Canada, you know. Absolutely, you should. Out absolutely uh you'll love it over here other than the time zone the time zone will be a pain <laughs> when yeah. you're trading the u.s stock market but right. uh, i think you'll love it over here well thank you so much for for joining me mickey it was an absolute pleasure and i think My i'm going to get you one in the future again because i believe be there's still happy. a few a few stones unturned that we need to chat about you've been listening to traders of money the podcast that helps you better understand the financial markets become a better trader better investor, and be more profitable. Traders of Money is brought to you by Trade Delicious. Join your host, Jordan Mellor, next time on Traders of Money.